We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw. We go tit for tat. We have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moose and Moose Podcast. This is episode 225 of the pod. Does that put us halfway to what? 450. Yeah, I was going to say that's not 2500. You know, Matt's never been the strong suit, but uh, we're going to make it all add up here on the pod for you. Episode 225 alongside Matt Rooney. I am Joe Musso. A lot to get to here. Um, we know it's the fall. We're not used to having baseball this late in the season, so we're going to have to throw the uh, rundown into the blender a little bit here for you. We are going to go White Sox first. Uh, we're bringing you this pot on a Wednesday, so we figured Bears reacts and look forward. Uh, take second fiddle to an end of season, but with one death comes one birth. Blackhawks dropping a puck on a season as well. We'll also give you over-under plays on both the Hawks and the Bulls, as well as our locks of the week. Matt Rooney, 5-1, and one, tip of the cap. How the hell are you? Uh, just trying to just trying to hang on here, build up as many of these wins as I can, because because there's gonna be a collapse here that that, that comes down eventually. But uh, still in mourning, still in mourning over here, not not over yeah. the the shock of yesterday. Hey, like Bill Parcells said, you are what your record is, and Matt Rooney is five and one. We'll get to those locks in a little bit, but the White Sox season has come to a close. Um, you know, with 24, a little bit more, right around 24 hours to digest it, Matt. Um, I can't say yesterday was shocking, game four. Maybe the means was shocking, 10-1. You think the team would have a little bit more uh, grit, a little bit more fight in them, regardless um, of the situation, their backs being up against the wall, or even seeing the writing on the wall. When you're down 6-1, you think the team might be able to play a couple runs, make it respectable. It goes the complete opposite way. And in my mind, I think the way that I'm going to – the way that I'm going to remember this 2021 White Sox team was immense talent – came into the playoffs flat-footed because they had nothing to play for for the final week and month and a half of the season. And then the pitching, I think, was the biggest victim of those flat feet. Like, the, the staff had no juice. Lance Lynn spent a little bit of time on the IL before the playoffs. He wasn't himself the last, let's say, eight weeks of the season. Rodon, little time on the IL, one start in a seven-week span and gets handed the ball, throws 99, and it's over before you know it. Lucas Giolito... I don't walk away with with a strong feeling one way or the other. Dylan Cease gets shelled. This is a son of a bee of a Houston lineup, Matt. But in my mind, I'm going to remember the failure of this pitching staff, I think, is how it's going to be situated in my head, if that's fair at all. Uh, I, I think that's fair, but I also don't want to let the the lineup off the hook. It's it's hard to not look at the pitching staff. I think the the Astros put up seven point eight runs per game in the seven point seven five runs, yeah, seven whatever over seven and a half runs a game. Uh, the ERA of the Sox starters was like a collective twelve or something. I think they only went like a combined twelve in the third innings. Obviously, that's a massive failure. But even can, given all that, there were several opportunities for the White Sox offense to break out, yeah. to have at bats, to have innings and. I think yesterday was you saw the one through now granted it was a little bit once the game got more out of hand but once you look at the lineup one through five the Astros were eight for 21 with nine RBIs the White Sox were two for 14 with zero RBIs like that's and that's a problem huge problem but then you go even further than that Matt and you see what the back end of this Houston Astros offense did throughout the series. Mm. It's unbelievable. I mean, you got Carlos Correa in the five hole, followed by Yuli Gurriel, Kyle Tucker, who comes out of the woodwork. Jake Myers had some timely hits. Like Martin Maldonado catching and, and still 
getting RBIs at the back. So like one through nine, they're tough outs. So, I mean, not to say our pitching staff isn't capable of getting outs against the top talent in the league. They showed that throughout the season. That's why I'm disappointed in it. But just like there is no at-bat to like exhale against the Houston Astros. And then you put that on top of the fact that they've done this for the last half decade. They've played in the ALCS five consecutive seasons. We got outplayed. We got outmanaged. And I think the experience reared its head and worked in direct concert with us being, you know, just laissez-faire the last six weeks of the season. I, I was I was talking with my brother yesterday who was at the game with, and it, as, as the game kept going on, and this one seemed like it was you know more and more over, that this series mm-hmm. to me reeked a lot of back in, in 2008 when the Blackhawks lost to the Red Wings in, in five games in the Eastern Conference Finals, or the Western Conference Finals, excuse me. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Just, well, they, they, they yeah. had, well, I'm, I'm not saying... The Hawks went out and made significant changes. They addressed needs mm-hmm. they had to. They, they had one really good game that they won in overtime, got everybody going. But essentially, they were outclassed by a much better team, a much more playoff-ready team, and a team that knew how to win. The White Sox looked a little bit deer in the headlights in this one. They're clearly missing those tough guys to play against in the lineup. The Astros have those guys. As bad as Martin mm-hmm. Maldonado is, he still gives you everything at the plate. As good as Tim Anderson is, he's capable of having those 0 for 4 nights where he's hacking and everything. He's not there. Jose Altuve doesn't have that at the top of the order. What the White Sox lineup and probably pitching staff needs, as much as I love Lance Lynn, Lance Lynn is probably not an ace on a World Series team. He's a two or a three. Both of them need the the AJ Pierzynski that was brought brought you know brought in in 04 or whatever that was. The I, I. I would say Mark Burley, but Mark Burley was a homegrown guy. You need to go mm-hmm. out and get those tough bulldog assholes to play against because the White Sox, as talented as they are, they don't have a lot of those guys. Jose Abreu is probably one of them right now, but even he has his moments where he, he he's not quite all there, it seems, but they don't have as, as much talent as they have. They don't have a lot of just good professional baseball players and- in those those like and the that auxiliary was, slots. That was the thing that defined that 2009 or 2010 Hawks team. Then they went out was, and got Marion Hosa. They went out and got those guys, but like the core that was there and experienced the loss, it bothered them. It changed them. It made them grow. That has to be. That has to happen here with this White Sox team. They have to. They can't just shrug this experience aside and say we're going to win 90 games next year. The division's non-competitive. We'll be fine. Let's run it back, and we'll win it next time around. No, you have to change. You have to evolve. You have to use this experience to grow. And um, I think that this group has that DNA. I think that Tim Anderson's bothered by this. I think that um, Lucas Giolito is bothered by this. I think that uh, there's guys on this team who are going to – wake up in the middle of the night this whole offseason and be pissed off about this, you know, and you need to have that. That Yes, the, the addition does need to happen, and the obvious name that's already been floated around is Max Scherzer coming off of what could likely be a World Series here with the Dodgers. We'll see, but, um, you know, it, it's an aging pitcher at 36 who still has that bulldog in him and isn't going to fetch a 10-year break-the-bank deal because of where he's at in his career. You might be able to give him, you know, I don't know what can, could we could we get a two year done? I don't know, maybe a five year done, and he doesn't see the end of it. And you front load it, whatever it would be. I'm completely in lockstep with what you're saying here. The roster needs to evolve. The attitude and approach needs to evolve. The core needs to take this personally. But I want to take the conversation now to what needs to happen 
in terms of the guy pulling the strings. And I'm not suggesting that Tony LaRusso is not the guy for the job, but there were some questionable decisions throughout the entirety of this series, whether it's not going to Kopech early in the series or maybe not going to Kopech, uh, going to Kopech a batter late here with Rodon on the bump and not going righty-righty. Like there was some string pulling that could have been done to put the team in a better situation too. How do you assess TLR here in the postseason? Uh, I don't think he lost them the series. Uh, but yeah. I know there's people that you, you look on Twitter or you know social media articles that are going to tell you he was the biggest problem of the series. I don't think he was the biggest problem of the series. It's hard to manage a bullpen when your starting pitchers give you twelve and a third through four you know, full through four games. That said, there were absolutely a lot of questionable decisions. The decision not to go to Kopech when he did was was a weird one. I'm also I think I'm more bothered by going to crochet after the day after throwing twenty six pitches again than going to Kopech. I like Michael Kopech. I think he has some electric stuff. You look at his baseball reference page from July tenth to the end of the year, he had an ERA near six. So not trusting yeah. Michael Kopech in the playoffs and this type there was plenty of a sample size to confirm that he hadn't been great. That said not, not to go deep here, but like Kopech's problem was he came into every game and was immediately down 2-0 in the count. Like, he gets behind in the count almost every batter and has to, like, fireball his that's way the, back That is the it. whole rotation. It seems like, Joe, not just Michael Kopech. That's what they're yeah. all doing the entire series. That is – I don't know what the fix is for that. I don't know if that's a pitching count, uh, a pitch count thing. I don't know if that's a pitching coach thing. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's a, a slight mechanic tweak here and there. I don't know if it's just – mentally not shying away from the moment. I don't think it's shying away from the moment because we saw Lucas Giolito in Oakland last year carry a no-hitter through seven uh, through, through yeah. seven innings. Like, But that said, as much as that uh, series was a playoff series, there were no fans there. There was no – yeah, there was tension. Yeah, you're in a playoff game. This was an entirely different animal. This was I, I, I don't want to knock that playoff experience completely because it was still there, but that was a three-game set in Oakland. This was your first real taste of playoff baseball. If that, like, This was the first time you went and faced a real hostile crowd. This is the first time you came home and had that crowd like they were you know, for the first time since the mm-hmm. blackout game. This is, this is a learning experience, like you were saying, that they can go one of two ways from. I hope they go the right way. I hope that Rick Hahn and Jerry and all them – I know Rick Hahn does. I hope – hopefully Jerry gives him the money to do what he needs to do. But see hey, where you, you need that, to improve. You saw that stadium. You saw that stadium on Sunday night, and you saw that stadium for the entire summer. Don't cry poor. I, I agree. Go, go, do, go do what you have to do, you know. Um it was funny that, yesterday. What is, the ra- the rally a- towels when go we ahead. got there were just plain yeah. black rags. The first day they had like the change the game design. <laughs> yesterday was legitimately just like a plain black washcloth. <laughs> Mike and I were laughing as we were taking the escalator Dude, up. That's such a that's such a failure. Like you sell everything. Like there's a sponsor's Go back and look at all of our Blackhawks towels from the playoffs. Yeah, there's, there's Constellation Demo Energy Harris, or whoever. Someone's buying energy. Them for you. Someone is someone is popping for that towel. Different conversation for a different day, Matt Ring. Let's talk about money in terms of spending it on players. Who do you want to see uh, in a blackout scenario next season? I mean, you said Max Scherzer, and Max Scherzer is the guy um, that yeah. I think should be 1A on on Jerry's list or Rick's list, whatever. I think what you said, I don't think he's going to get a five-year deal, but I, I think what you, you go to his agent, he's a Boris guy, right? I believe he's Gotta a Boris be. guy. You talk to Scott Boris and say, we're going to – give you as much money as you want over two years, then we'll start talking vesting options for years two and four or three and four. And then we'll kind of go from yep. there. 
but that's the guy you have to be on the phone with after that. There's not a lot of great second basemen on the market, but there's some there's some shortstops out there that, yeah, they're going to need to get paid. Carlos Correa is going to be one of them. He's probably going to get a 10-year deal, which we've just seen that Jerry Reinsdorf doesn't like to do. But you have Corey Seager, who's going to hit the market. You have Marcus Simeon, who had a great year. He's a former White Sox. He's 31 and probably isn't going to command a massive deal. Trevor Story is going to be out there. Like There are second shortstop options out there that yeah, they might have to learn a little bit how to play second base, but that's you, you can teach shortstops how to move to second. Honestly, ideally, my, my perfect scenario is they somehow figure out a way to go get Max Scherzer and Chris Bryant because I think Chris Bryant in right field would be perfect. I think you can probably find a second baseman or a shortstop for cheaper that's you know a tough out, plays good defense. Yeah, because and you can get Chris Bryant in that the line. The deadline acquisitions, you, you think that would be awesome, not to cut you off, but like mm-hmm. if Chris Bryant's in right field, that's, you know – that that there's a lot more there than just like adding a former all star. You know, you're adding a former Cub. There's you know, there's there's storylines abound, uh, as we like to say. If Chris Bryant becomes a White Sox, but in terms of the deadline acquisitions, because that's really what you know is sticking in my craw as well is that like we really didn't ultimately end up adding anything. You know, well, it's, it's um, Caesar Hernandez was a roll of the dice. He was good for a little bit, and he ended up not being good in the playoffs. Yeah, but like one point I heard, and I'll credit, I, I was listening to White Sox Dave lose his mind after the game, and Hernandez had something like 22, 26 home runs before he came to Chicago and then hit one. He had 19. In the, I, in the, I believe 19, 19 and then hit one. He came here, I had like two. Like, I think that was it. I, I just don't know that that was that big of a difference. I don't. I, I know that Craig Kimbrell was not a difference. Craig Kimbrell was a hindrance, if anything. Yeah. And what's that? What's the option next year? Team option for sixteen. It sounds 16. like they're going to pick it up, but then try. Yeah, they're going to pick it up because they because they're going to. Well, that would be again ideal because they're going to pick it up because of what they gave up for him. You know, yeah. you can't just they'll be able if they want to say that was an expensive two month rental. If they want some, to find somebody for him, they will find somebody. Will it will probably not be Nick Madrigal back, but you'll get something for Craig Kimbrell. He is still a closer and it can be spun to use him right. And he's a name, all that the, the Philadelphia Phillies are probably still going to be a team that'll overpay to get uh, Craig Kimber. So, so I led with the fact that I'm going to remember this team as an end of season failure, largely because of the pitching. And yes, you do make a good point about the you know lack of offensive production. How are you going to situate this in your head? Looking back? Uh, I think I'll know more about it after next year. And that might be a cop out answer, but like, I okay. want to see how they no, respond that, that, that to That makes it. a ton of sense, too. If they that respond to this next year, and I'm not saying they need to, need to go win a World Series, but if they respond to this next year, they're a better team. They're competitive in the playoffs. They, they win a series. They win some games. They play the Houston Astros, look good doing it, whatever. I can live with that, and I can say, all right, you know what? They took that series, and they learned from it. But if they come out of the gates struggling, they look like they're feeling sorry for themselves, not sure of themselves, which, again, I don't think is going to happen. Then, then I go back and say this is a failure. It's yeah. it's all about how they respond next year. And you talked how this year they got a little bit lax, a little bit foot off the gas because they could. Next year, they they shouldn't come out with the attitude of ninety games. They should Tony Larusa or whoever's managing the team should walk into the clubhouse in spring training, write the write the number one hundred on a whiteboard, and say that's our goal this year. We want to hit a hundred games. Don't take your foot off the gas. We're getting to a hundred because that's because- that's this team this team took their foot off the gas. They were not able yep. to rev the engine back up. And that's also and where adding veteran players, like I missed one, a Chris Taylor, who's going to be a free agent second baseman from the Dodgers. I'd love to see him playing for the White Sox next year. Guys like that who have been there before, who know the times to maybe take your you know, midsummer uh, a 
days, whatever, like take your days off, but no mm-hmm. one to rev it back up. Getting those guys who've been there before is very important. And I, I think a guy like him would be perfect. And speaking of importance, I think we also saw just how important it is to situate yourself as one of the top two seeds and host because this series was, I know, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but this series was 90% over. Yeah, we had an awesome night on Sunday night. It gave us a sense of hope. But the way they performed in Houston to start this series doesn't position you to win a five-game series. And now if it's Sunday night or Tuesday night or whatever it is, and you're opening up that series on the south side, I think that that series has a much different complexion. Because Agreed. Worse, because worst-case scenario, you're heading to Houston 1-1. And I just think that there has to be some sort of emphasis put on don't just win the division, put yourself as the best team in the American league, the team to beat regardless of who wins the world series this year. I think that's, that should be the goal next year. The goal this year was to win the division, win the world series. They won the division, obviously didn't do do the latter part. They need, you have to know that just winning the division is not good enough. You need to strive for better than that because they're, they are more talented than that, but they need to now take the steps in the offseason uh, off to approach that. They need to be win 100 games, win 105 games, whatever it takes to win the AL. That needs to be their goal going into next year. I want to I socks out with a World Series patch on it. You know? I have one. It's, it's very old, though. It's very old. Yeah, it's about and, 13 years, 16 years old. If, you're, if your 05 patch is intact, then you've got like the proper ecosystem because mine and my dad's, I looked at my dad's when I was home the other day and they were like almost a felt kind of like they had like a, they had like a texture to them and it just, there's just cracks through the whole thing. Like it's not a, it's not like a, like an embroidered patch. It was like a attached, like felty type. Do you know what I'm talking about? Did you have the same? I think so. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Example of that hat. Oh, you just, you just haven't. Yeah. It, it was not a good it was not a good patch. So we need to go back to the World Series for um, for hat purposes, if nothing else. You know, I I agree. Uh, last thing I'll say, wrapping up on this, we, we've talked about yeah. it enough. But when the, when things are going well, this team plays really well. I don't think they've quite learned how to play. You've heard coaches say this all the time: learn how to play uncomfortable. The, I don't think mm-hmm. I don't think the White Sox have learned how to do that, and it showed in this series when things were going wrong they went very wrong and it it was mm-hmm. it was very very hard for them to snap out of it they they were able to a couple times when they had crowd presence behind them or a guy in the Osmani Grandal who had been there so many times ran into one and put one over the wall on Sunday night that got him back into it but like the whole team needs to learn how to play uncomfortable because I don't think they've done that yet. And I think we've seen that probably on a more minor scale throughout the regular season. Didn't want to buy into it as much because, oh, well, they're already going to win the division, whatever. But I think that was highlighted mm-hmm. in the playoffs. Definitely. And I just kind of send this off on a more positive note. It was really fun to watch a good baseball team throughout the season. Now, would it be a lot more fun to watch them do something of note in the postseason? 100%. But I think time is also going to you know, reflect positively on some of the things that this club did. You know, we were robbed of five months of Aloy Jimenez. We, uh, we watched this staff struggle down the stretch, but there were like, there were points there in the middle of the summer and, you know, in those crosstown series where it was, it was fun to be a White Sox fan again. And we, we haven't really been able to say that in a while. So, um, that that's a positive takeaway for the season for me because you know I work in a newsroom where uh, the allegiances are broken up. Yeah, we got a lot of East Coast stuff, but there's 
teams, there's people that root for teams all over the place. And it was once again, I always talk about like, you know, being able to be proud of my teams in front of people is always more fun. And it, it was nice to be proud of the White Sox again. Yeah, uh, I'm with you, and not not this week particular. Not this week particular, but, but overall, they're a they're a very good, very talented baseball team that has a few needs to address in the off season. And if they do those, they should be right there in the thick of things next year again. Uh, that's it for the 2021 season uh, on the Chicago White Sox. Uh, go go! I guess we could leave it on that note, and uh, and we will see you guys next year. We'll see you in Arizona. Uh, we'll do a little spring training pod, maybe. I, Sounds sounds like a good L- work, live you know? from the desert, live from a golf course. I'm actually going to be in Arizona on a golf course a week from today. So, we've uh, we've heard, Joseph. We've heard. Did we? Did yeah, I bring that you, up? T- you talked about it about a week or two ago. Yeah, it's been brought up. Uh, all right. Yeah. I just it's more for more for scheduling purposes. Yeah, for I mean, sure. Yeah, you're just letting the people know that the podcast is going to be uh, maybe off time. It's going to be a Tuesday yeah. pod. Thanks for the heads up. Thanks for the heads up, people. Um, Matt, my computer is completely locked up. I downloaded some new software the oh. other day, so uh, I think we want to go bears. We want to go bears next, right? That's I don't really bears. have a note in front of me at the Let's, moment. Uh, um, that it, that was next on the rundown, anyway. I don't think there's. I don't think there's. I don't think there's any more appropriate way to categorize this week. And now we are what five days, four days, four days removed from the game. So yes, it, it is. Uh, it's fogged a little bit with some of the breaking news uh, in the NFL and the MLB and opening night in the NHL. Um, it's been a busy couple of days, but the way I'm remembering the Bears game is appropriately put by the man himself. Just win, baby. You know, that it, it wasn't pretty. Um, it wasn't, a again, an offensive explosion that we're maybe hoping to see out of our quarterback, but he manages the game well, makes a couple nice plays, scary moment with the knee. I mean, I guess a I lot happened. terrified there. A lot happened in a relatively uneventful football game, but they come out of Vegas with a road win. We come to find out that, you know, that, that locker room was likely dealing with some things um, following the unsavory comments from John Gruden that ultimately led to his dismissal. But um, you take a win when you can get one, especially on the road. It was nice to see, again, we've, we've talked about, Robert Quinn a couple times this year. Him and Khalil Mack. Four and a half sacks for Robert Quinn? A little bit of a chip on his shoulder, perhaps? Him and Khalil Mack, we we called out Khalil Mack on the pod earlier this year. He must listen to it because he's he's responded. He he listens (laughs) to the pod, regular listener, Khalil Mack. Come on if you want. Um, He responded. He was fantastic. I think he had eight tackles, and he added a sack of uh, his buddy Derek Carr. Um, The the defense, again, it's not the 2018 defense, but – we're not asking it to be because that defense was so good. They are, they're playing a more inspired game since Justin Fields has come into the starting role. It's, it's, you can see a different group. You can see a little bit more fire throughout. You can see them playing with a little bit more passion. They know who the better quarterback is. They know the guy with the high potential and they're playing for that guy. I think it's what mm-hmm. they've been hoping for for the last four or five years. They're, it's hope, they're hoping it's what Mitch was going to be, and that ultimately wasn't. They're playing for their guy, and it's it's nice to see that that defense still does have it. While it might be on the back end of their window, that window does not appear to be as, as shut as we once thought it was. I think one place we need to um, applaud or make note of right now is the way that the depth stood up, or stood up, excuse me, stood up, Jesus. Um, the way that the depth Same stood thing. up on, on Sunday. Uh, when a Fetty goes not down, a grammar pod. When a Fetty goes down, the offensive line remains somewhat intact. You lose a running back to the IR, and your, and your backup backs show up big time. Um, control the game. Like, I think that that's one thing that we've long been critical of the Bears. I'm not saying that they're this talented, too deep team, 
but those guys did come out and perform on Sunday against against the Raiders. Yeah, and when you had David Montgomery go down last week, we all know Matt Nagy's seems like unwillingness to run the ball. When David Montgomery went down last week coming into this week, could have been a very, very good excuse for him to get really mm-hmm. pass happy, throw 37 times, turn around, hand the ball off 12 times, and be, that's it. Damian Williams had 18 carries. Khalil Herbert had... Uh, I'm sorry, Damian Williams at 16, Close Khalil Herbert at 18. Yeah, they both averaged four yards a carry. Like They committed themselves to the run, and that's when it, Justin Fields one day in the near future will be the quarterback that you build your offense around, that you take the leash off or you take yeah. the, the, the I think training right now wheels off taking, is, the, is the better word. It's not applying undue pressure on him. Yeah, you, know? you didn't need to have him you know, take the training wheels off and, and go play football and, and you'll be have be the focal point of the offense. You needed him to make throws when you need to make throws, not turn the ball over, and be a leader on the offense and get the ball who needed to get to it. And Khalil Herbert, Damian Williams, credit to them. They they thirty four carries combined, took the mantle, ran the football, and Justin Fields took care of the football. He didn't didn't turn it over. He had a fantastic touchdown pass to Jesper Horstead, probably one that yep. you say great ball, don't ever throw that again. But he, he made the throw. He got it in there. And Showed some toughness, too, coming back from what looked like was going to be a season-ending knee injury. Popped back up three pay- plays later, was ready to go. It, they're they're playing with a toughness and an edge that, while they, it's, it's not going to get them to a Super Bowl this year, they're going to be competitive and, and be in some more games than they should, provided they keep calling plays this way. I cannot stress that part enough. Yeah, but, the one thing that I would push back on there is, you know, the week prior we saw – a little bit more verticality in this offense. And now I'm not saying that like get throw the ball 40 times and be slinging it all over the park, but just because you're committed to the run doesn't mean you can't take a shot. You know, I, I feel like we saw that's fair more vertical passing schemed up two weeks ago. Than you we did, did for sure. Vegas. And maybe something in the game plan tells you not to do it, but I, I mean, this, the Vegas and safeties don't scare me. Um, which I'm call it Abraham uh, Jonathan Abram plays in the box. He's more of a strong safety, like outside linebacker type almost. And then who's the free? I don't know, but like it's not like you're dealing with ball hawks. Back mm-hmm. there. I think I think you could have schemed some looks open for for Fields and got Mooney down the field a little bit. So that's one thing I would like to see remain a part of this offense, especially if you're committing to the run, because that means a full box. That means safeties and DBs playing downhill, and that means it's time for a shot. You know. I would think that after they, I agree with you, I would like to see some more downfield calls. You definitely saw those at home. Maybe it had something to do with being on the road. Maybe it had something to do with Fields getting nicked up a little bit early and being down an offensive lineman that, well, if, if, his, if, he's, if his knee's bugging and we're down our, our, uh, our left tackle or whatever, right tackle, whoever it was, maybe we don't have this many dropbacks, don't have him standing in the pocket for too long. I, I don't know. But given how this game went, I would expect that we see, especially at home against a rival like the Packers, where you're probably going to need to score. They're probably going to take some chances because they're going to need to take some chances if they want to win that football game. So I would hope to see that that's something that's kind of folded into the offense next week against, which I don't know why it just, it has no, maybe it's the Sox playoff games had no feel of Packers week to me. No, but I think that's a good thing. Fair. And that's exactly, where I wanted, no that's, exact, that's exactly where I wanted to go next was, you know, it's Wednesday, let's move it forward. We take the dub, but we're back in the building. We're chewing film. We're getting to know the Packers. We know what they do well. I think that this, I don't know, I, I get a sense that this team isn't like overwhelmed by the moments throughout the season. Not that we've gotten into any real ones or big ones or 
or, or real pressure points yet, but like Packers week is the first pressure point and they don't seem pressured by that idea. Or maybe we don't seem pressured by the, that idea. I don't know. Uh, you know, uh, they could be all freaking out that they're playing the rival and it's the first time that the quarterback, I doubt it. I don't get that sense of this group. So I kind of like the fact that it's more, you know, week six, let's dial in. Then it's, it's Packers week. If we don't win, we might have to fire the head coach, regardless of who the coach, it's just the measuring stick for coaches is what's your record against the Packers. Um, I, I think that this team is going to be in this football game. Do they win it? I don't know. Green Bay showed uh, the opportunity or the, you know, the propensity to leave the door open against Cincinnati. Now Cincinnati does not walk through that door, unfortunately, or maybe it is fortunately. Do you want to piss off Aaron Rodgers uh, coming into Soldier Field? Not to say he needs any other motivation than, hey, screw you, Chicago, again. Um, but uh, I, I like the way that the Bears stack up. Vegas sees it as a four-and-a-half-point game. Never a good thing when you're catching points at home. Does not bode well, but um, we shall see. We'll see I, how it plays out. I hope we see the Mason Crosby of last week. That's something I heard. Jesus, I certainly please. hope we see if he wants to give me miss. A little, give me a little crosswind. If you want, yeah, soldiers. Get, get some wind, wind coming off the lake there. Let's let's get Mason Crosby all confused. And then we have the best kicker in the NFL right now. Cairo Santos Apparently. will miss. That's, that's, that's a thing. But looking at the Packers' schedule, I, I do think this is when playing their best like they have been the last couple of weeks. It is the best defense they've gone up against yet. The, the Bengals' defense is – fine the Steelers defense is obviously good but was banged up 49ers defense kind of same thing banged up and they have an offense there that can't really help them out too much right now because how banged up they are and the Lions and or the Lions this is this is going to be again Aaron Rodgers knows how to beat the Bears he knows how to win in Soldier Field but this is probably their toughest test defensively and I'm interested to see how those Bears rise to the occasion and also how the offense rises to the occasion with a banged up Packers secondary because like you said the same thing with with Vegas there's going to be some opportunity to take shots against this Packers defense their pass rush has has left something to be desired so far this year Jair Alexander's Uh, hurt their their, their secondary's banged up I'm interested to see how they attack it All right, Matt so let's spin it this way just thinking results based here how we feel about this Bears team. I'm still, I'm still not, and I'm not, I, I don't know that at any point this season I will have belief that they can do anything significant. I, I don't think they're, they're built to do it. And history tells you a rookie quarterback isn't going to do it. I'm fine with that, but we're sitting at three and two, you get to four and two with the win over the Packers. How do you see this Bears team? Uh, I, I see it. I mean, I'm still not it's going still to Bucks, 49ers, Steelers, yeah. Ravens. We we've talked so, we talked about at the beginning of this year that I'm basically going to judge how like ju- gauge where I am on how like the Bears scale of how good I think they can be with how Justin Fields looks. And obviously I want them to win on Sunday and if they do I'm going to be ecstatic cuz that's going to mean the defense played well is going to mean Justin Fields took another step forward and I'm not going to say outdueled Aaron Rodgers but played well enough to beat Aaron Rodgers. But I'm not going to let myself really get too high or too low on this season because, like you said, they're not going to beat Tom Brady in the playoffs this year. They're not probably going to beat Aaron Rodgers in the playoffs this year. They're probably not going to beat the Rams in the playoffs this year. I would love for them to get there and I would love for them to get some experience provided it's more not like last year's getting there where they luck into it and, you know, beat up on some bad teams. But this year, Nickelodeon game. If, if, yeah, if Justin Fields <laughs> looks good, beats, beats some pretty good teams along the way. Yeah. He's going to have some rookie mistakes, but like a guy that looks like he belongs and he gets himself into a playoff game. I will be happy about that. I'll probably chalk that up as a win, but 
my again, like my gauge for where the Bears are is pretty much on that quarterback position because that's that that's the key to this franchise for the next hopefully ten to fifteen years is how he pans out. And if he keeps developing, growing, it's about finding the pieces around him, and they have some of those now, but. Uh, it's more or less what he does for me going forward. Uh, we are not going to do an NFL whip around this week as it is Wednesday. It'd be a late whip. It'd be a forced whip. So we're going to talk winners and losers here, Matt. Never so force a whip. A couple. Never force can't a whip. Force, can't force a whip. Um, need your winner and loser here out of week five. Just a prevailing thought, something around the NFL. Uh, let's lead off positive. Who's your big winner? Uh, that's a tough one. Um I'm going to go with the Baltimore Ravens. I think that was at home falling down very quickly, very quickly against a, I know they're one and four. I think the Colts are better than a one and four team coming back the way they did and winning a ball game, the way they did with Lamar throwing for nearly 400 yards against a very decent defense there in the Colts. I think, that for me showed they can win in multiple ways. They're not just going mm-hmm. to bully you and have to beat you on the ground. If you shut that down, you're going to beat them. They're going to quit. They were shut down that way. They were able to win another way. So th- there are other teams like you can say the Chargers, you'd say even the Cardinals are proven to five and oh, whatever you want. But the the Ravens winning the way they did, I think they're the winners for me. Yeah, that was, uh, like you said, an, an illuminating moment for, for um, Lamar Jackson. Not that just he, he set all these personal records in the passing game, but you're down in a game. Can you deliver the football on time? Can you lead your team back? Can you be more of a pocket passer? And I know he wasn't traditionally like hanging in the pocket, but can you be a pass-first quarterback um, to bring your team back? And he looked absolutely fantastic. Um, my big winner this week was Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. Can't uh, go wrong there. Two, those two specifically because it felt like a true changing of the gatekeeper moment. Like, looking the team in the eyes and saying, we're going to come to your place, we're going to beat your brakes off, and we're going to walk out of here as the best team in the conference. And that's what I felt like happened. Not to say the Chiefs have performed well this season. I'm not writing the obituary just yet because of how much talent they have on that team, but it was the let's stand back-to-back and see who's taller moment. And not only did the Bills look taller than the Chiefs, Josh Allen looked like the quarterback that if you said – who do you want to start your franchise with today? I'm struggling with that question between those two guys right now. I, I still think Patrick Mahomes is fantastic. I think he's going to win multiple Super Bowls. I think he's going to win multiple MVPs. I think he does things that certain guys can't. But all of those things can be said about Josh Allen now as well. Not that he's won a Super Bowl, but I think he wins a Super Bowl, perhaps multiple. I think he wins MVP awards. I think that he leads his team back to this upper echelon, and a lot of that was shown to me in the way they won. Game was delayed out of halftime. You got rain. You got the crazy crowd. He's hurtling dudes. Like, this was a this was a forceful taking of the baton. This was not a passing of the baton. This was a, a Debo, that's my bike. That's ours. Here in the, in the AFC. I, I like that a lot, and I, I didn't watch a ton of that game because obviously it was, it was at the Sox game, but I went back and watched some of the highlights, read up the recaps, and it really just sounded like, like you said, that was a, this is our torch now. You have to come get it back if you really want it. Uh, Matt, who's your loser here? We cry. You, you know, I, I, I'm in between two teams. I, I could say the Seattle Seahawks, but because they lost Russell Wilson, like literally, um, but realistically in that division there was going to be tough to to compete anyway so i'm, I'm going to go 
I'm going to go to the Denver Broncos as much as I want to go to the Kansas City Chiefs there, but I think we kind of covered it with your Bills being the winner for the same reason the Chiefs can kind of be considered the loser of the week, but that defense. But the Denver Broncos going into a Pittsburgh game that Pittsburgh's not again, very good this year. Their their offense, ben, Big Ben has struggled a bunch. Their defense is banged up. Their offensive line isn't good. The Broncos' defense is fantastic. They have a quarterback that doesn't really make mistakes. And they went in, and I know they came, I, I know they came back towards the end and had a chance and all that, but like that was a game that they fell, from, fell behind early and never really should have. So for me, in a division that's now kind of, it's not a wide open race because the Chargers are four and one, but in a game they could have kept pace in a very winnable game. They're going to need everything they can get with how good the Chargers are. That that was a, a big loss for me, especially in a, in a spot where they kind of needed to prove themselves after losing last week. Uh, my big loser here was not a team. It was not a player. It was Fair. kickers in general. Yep. Week five was, and this isn't hyperbole, the worst kicking performance as a league in the history of the NFL. Kickers missed 12 extra points, tying the NFL record. Kickers also missed 12 field goals in one day. It's the first week in NFL history to have at least 10 missed field goals and 10 missed extra points on the same day since the extra point was moved back in 2015. It was, it was the worst kicking day that we've ever seen in recent memory. So I'll give you that qualifier too, but damn, it was bad. Um, just what we saw in that Cincinnati – uh, Green Bay debacle was enough, but it was preceded by missed extra points all over the place. It was just an ugly, ugly day for the feet. We got to be better, fellas. Yeah, you know who didn't miss a kick on Sunday, Joe? Who's that? Tell me. Cairo Santos. Two yeah. for two on his field goals, two for two on the extra points. The guy. Not us. Not us. Not, couldn't be us. Couldn't be us. Couldn't, couldn't be us. That's it. That's it. Couldn't be the I was best trying to be like one of the Same the thing. Cool not us. There. Yeah. Wouldn't, couldn't be. Hey, look at us. Look at that us, one, huh? too. You know? Yeah. Just, uh, that's your winners and losers in place of a whip around. We got to talk winter sports, Matt. They're here. Uh, it's surprising. The Hawks season tonight. Bulls tip off what next week? Uh, yeah, it's usually about a week or two after, right? Yeah, that sounds about right. So yeah, ten days, whatever. Yeah, Bulls are uh, right around talk, the corner. We're going to talk win totals here. Uh, I got a nice feel on the Bulls. Don't really have a big opinion on the Hawks. A uh, point total. On the Hawks, 89 and a half this season, Matt. You tell me how I should play it. Man, I looked at that number and I was like, "That's Vegas did a good job with that one. That's, that's about the perfect number. Um, I Because it's the perfect number and I'm down the middle, I'm going to go over because I am a Blackhawks fan and I want to root for the best for them. Um, they've they flirted with that total. I think it was uh, a couple of years ago, the, the, first, the last full year they had. Uh, they're not they're not going to be a team that wins this division in all likelihood because Colorado's in this division and they're better than everybody. But after that, this whole central division is going to be a wide open race from, you know, Chicago on down to Nashville. Like every team is going to have a chance to, at this playoff, the, the top four seeds to get into the playoffs here. I like what they did in the offseason, adding Seth Jones. They definitely shirt up the goaltending position with, with Marc-Andre Fleury, and now they have a pretty decent one-two punch there. They've added some nice pieces on the blue line. They added a guy in Tyler Johnson who, yeah, his production's fallen off from what he, when he was a, a top-two center, but like he's a, a winner and has won two Stanley Cups the last couple of years with Tampa Bay, and now you're going to put him on a line with Patrick Kane. I like that. I, I think their young guys are taking steps forward. And you get a healthy, resurgent Jonathan Taves back, who by all means from preseason mm-hmm. camp reports looks like a guy that 
spent the year not playing hockey away from the game, working out, getting himself back right, and it, it sounds like he's right again. So I'm going to take the over for that reason. Okay. Uh, I'm going to give you a gambling answer, and I'm going to give you my official answer. Okay. A gambling answer is if someone who knows what the hell they're talking about tells you that the number looks right, the number probably is right, and you mm-hmm. play it under. Public money loves an over. You want to be on the opposite side of public money more times than not. But I'm not going to root against the Blackhawks all season, and you tell me to play it over. My official pick is the over, Matt. Love it. Love it. That's Matt's hockey minute. Joe and, Joe and I are on the over. As for the Bulls, win total is 41 and a half. Maybe make up some of that Hawks uh, lost money here. Oh, a little um, bef- before, one little, little prop to maybe sprinkle on. If the Hawks have a good yeah. year, it's likely because Patrick Kane plays at a very high level. He's 34 to 1 to win the heart, which is 12th best odds. He was in the top two or three of the heart race most of the year last year. 34 to 1, 12th best odds. That's That might be worth, you know, uh, just a little, a little sprinkle. A little sprinkle. We're in. He's We're a, in. He's a spry age 33. That's a bonus pick from the Moosaroon Sharp this season. Uh, we'll get to locks in just a moment, but first, a Bulls pick. 41.5 is the number. I think it opened up, if I'm not mistaken, at 38.5, like, oh, wow. like a couple, couple months ago. So oh, like, okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Before all the team, roster changes. Yes. The, and if you have that ticket, I mean, have fun. It's Good gonna be for an awesome you. season. I still think this number's low. Um, I, I know it's a little bit of recency bias, bias off of what we saw here in the preseason. That doesn't necessarily dictate what sort of performance we're going to see during the regular season. But damn, like the group seems to have gelled already. Uh, even some of the talking heads are starting to say like top four, top three seed. Be careful. Could be an Eastern Conference problem for anybody and everybody. Play it over the 41 and a half. Uh, I'm with you. I, I've watched a little bit of them in the preseason and – Man, they just—they look like a team that was made to play with each other. It looks like—I mean, there's what two guys left remaining from the from the beginning of the um, AK era. I mean, it, it looks like mm-hmm. they've given Billy Donovan kind of exactly what he wanted for his system. They—they're they, built well-rounded. I mean, Zach Levine now ha- he can go ahead and be the star on a team with an actual supporting cast and not rely on Kobe White to be really hot for the night. I I love what I've seen from them in the preseason, and this is as excited as I've been about. We've been talking about bull seasons in the past, where you know it's twenty seven and a half, and we hope these young guys take the next step, and they never really did. Guess what? Now they don't really have to, because um, <laughs> they went out and got proven guys, a couple stars, a couple guys that are just below that star level that are great role players that can start on any NBA team. I'm excited to watch the Bulls this year, and that's the first time I can say that in a long time. All right, so we're pounding overs on the Chicago teams. No surprise Chicago there. over parlay. What's that? What's there that we go. Out? Probably plus uh, two something. Yeah, probably not great. Probably still probably good, probably not great. But that just means our teams are getting better, and, and, and we like that. Uh, Matt, there you go. There's no way to get better. I think you're on a four-pick streak right now. There's the announcer's curse. You're 5-1 and one on the season. I improved to 3-3 three and three with a winning pick on Thursday Night Football. I gave you a favorite there with the Rams. did. It's your, it's your lock of the week this week. I am sticking with college. I think I've been going pre- I've been going pretty good with everything this year, but uh, knock on wood. Uh, I am going to take under 53 and a half in Auburn at Arkansas. Um, I don't know who – apparently that man agrees with me. Um, I'm going with that because I don't trust Bo Nix on the road ever, and I think Arkansas is a pretty decent team. I know they just let up a whole bunch of points to Ole Miss, but everybody lets up a whole bunch of points to Ole Miss, and that's a really good offense. They, they almost had them beat. I don't think Arkansas is going to score a ton because I think Auburn also plays pretty good defense, but 
Mm-hmm. Mainly, this is I did this with Penn State too when Auburn was going to Penn State. It, it's a fade Bo Nix on the road play. I don't yeah, think Auburn's they're going to score. score. Yeah, I don't think they're going to score a lot on the road. And I like I think Arkansas's offense is fine, but I don't think they're going to go out and put up forty points uh, at home against Auburn. So give me the under in that game because I, I don't think Auburn's going to score. You know, uh, apologies there. That was a production assistant getting a little uh, get a little handsy with the audio board. Um, happens to the best of us. We've all done it. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's he's been fired. He's been dealt with. So uh, good to know. To, good to know. There's going to be a job posting up after uh, Moose and Dunes two twenty five. Uh, for me, my lock of the week. I'm going to take you to another NFL favorite. I like Dallas laying three and a half at home against New England. I don't think New England's very good. I think that <clears throat> excuse me. I think Bill Belichick does a lot of things to keep them in games. They haven't asked much of Mac Jones, and I'm not going to speak out of both sides of my mouth here when it comes to rookie quarterbacks. I don't think they should ask a lot of Mac Jones. But what, what, from what we've seen out of this Dallas team, we have to start talking about them as a real NFC contender as well. The offense is scoring at ridiculous rates. The defense is taking the ball away now. Is it? Uh, is it sustainable to have Trevon Diggs pick a, pick a ball off every week? Well, to this point, it has been. He's got six and five weeks. Does that continue? I'm not sure. Micah Parsons has looked really good. So the question with Dallas has always been, at least when Dak is healthy and available, what can the defense do? Because the offense is going to score points. Well, now the offense is healthy, it's scoring points, and they have a serviceable defense that can get the job done for them as well. Three and a half, it's sort of one of those – icky numbers, but we didn't come to push anyway. So what's the difference between three and three and a half? Two and a half is your big jump there here. I say don't flinch, play it. I kind of see a blowout. Dallas over New England. I like that pick a lot. I know New England's <clears throat> offensive line was they were missing four starters last week. I'm not sure of their health coming back to next week, but you can tell they're at, at the very least banged up. Dallas is playing better defense. I'm, I'm a big fan of that pick. I think Dallas is, is really good, like we saw in week one, a team that can go out and compete with Tampa and give them everything they need. So I think Dallas is as good of a team right now as there is in the, uh, in the NFC. Uh, winning picks, winning analysis. What else can you ask for here on the Moose and Moons podcast, episode 225? Matt, before we say goodbye, got anything else for the people? You got anything else for the White Sox? Any final message for the Moose and Moons listeners? Uh, golf season's winding down. Go, go get your last few rounds in, people. It's 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 what? almost winter time here. Let's let's go I'm in. Gonna, let's get some I'm rounds like, in. I'm like looking out the window at a gray sky. And yeah, rain. I'm trying to encourage tomorrow. People. Yeah, so yeah, like, I'm proud. Like, like, like a morose note. No, it was it's like, like a, let's get, let's get hey, your rounds this, in. This thing you love, it's, we got it gone. No, soon. I'm saying we still got a month. Thanks, back guys. Like, See ya. Get your rounds in. Like get your rounds <laughs> in. Come on. now. I guess with that final word. We say thank you for watching, listening, and taking part in the Moose and Roots podcast. As always, hit us up on Twitter. Send us those mailbag questions. We will get back into the mailbag here in the near future. Um, we haven't had enough food talk. We haven't enough fashion talk. Take us where we like to go. Food and fashion. Those are our passions. That's, if, if any, that's, I don't even know if I'm allowed to talk after that. I think, we should, I think you should just cut the audio there. Food and fashion. That's those are our passions. passions. Wow. Wow. Uh, in a word, it's the Moose and Ruins podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening to episode 225. For Matt, I'm Joe. Talk to you guys next week. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. Chicken on the steak was phenomenal.